uh, uh, we're back in Second Kings chapter five. This morning, I I spoke on uh, the little maid uh, that had uh, been in the house of this man, the name of Naaman, and uh, we spent spent the message on her. And, and tonight, I want to speak some things from this man, Naaman, uh, really an extraordinary man, and. Um, Let's, let's read a few verses, and, and we'll jump into the message. I'm in chapter 5 of 2 Kings, and I'm going to start reading in chapter, I'm sorry, verse number 1. Now Naaman, captain of the host of the king of Syria, was a great man with his master and honorable, because by him the Lord had given deliverance unto Syria. He was also a mighty man in valor, but he was a leper. And the Syrians had gone out by companies and brought away captive out of the land of Israel a little maid, and she waited on Naaman's wife. And she said unto her mistress, Would God, my Lord, were here with the prophet, I'm sorry, would God, my Lord, were with the prophet that is in Samaria, for he would recover him of his leprosy. And one went in and told his Lord, saying, Thus and thus said the maid that is in the land of Israel, and the king of Syria said, Go, and I will send a letter unto the king of Israel. And he departed and took with him ten talents of silver, six thousand pieces of gold, ten changes of raiment. I'll stop the reading there, and we'll move on in a moment. You get the story. This man is indeed a great man even to the point where God uniquely used him as a man that was not of the nation of Israel, but God used him to win in battle. We know this, that God's ways are not our ways. But God even sometimes will use his worldly people. In this case, this man was not necessarily a wicked man, but he was a very honorable man. But God used him to win a battle. Uh, for, for the country of Syria, even though it was an enemy of Israel and was a somewhat of a, a thorn in the side of Israel, God used this man to give victory to the country of Syria. And so he's a very unique man, and he's all these qualities that we see in this man. He's, he's valiant, and, and he's honorable, and uh, the king obviously dearly loves this man. But then it says, but he was a leper. And so we have a man that is no doubt unknown to people. Obviously, the maid knew it. His wife obviously would have known it, but it's probably not apparent to the public eye that this man has leprosy. And so no doubt he is still a man that's carrying himself with dignity and honor and is um, well thought of, and, and people, I would think, beloved this man and honored him because he was that kind of a man. And, of course, a conqueror for the nation. So, no doubt, was held in high esteem. He takes the advice of the maid, which is just an amazing thing. Uh, for a, a little, the Bible calls her a little maid. T takes the advice, and it's a long trip. But he arrives, and he's there to receive healing. He arrives first at the home of the king. And he goes to the king, and the king is deeply, deeply concerned. 
Verse number 7, if you'll pick up there, 5-7. It came to pass when the king of Israel had read the letter that he rent his clothes. This is a letter telling him he's there to receive healing. And uh, the king says that he rent his clothes and said, Am I God to, to kill and to make alive that this man doth send unto me to recover a man of his leprosy? Wherefore, consider... I pray you and see how he seeketh a quarrel against me. And so the king is in desperation here. This man who is a noteworthy man has come for healing. And the king, the king is like, who am I that, I that I can heal this man of leprosy? And so he's obviously in despair. Verse 8, and it was so when Elisha, the next four words, the man of God, had heard that the king of Israel had rent his clothes that he sent to the king, saying, Wherefore hast thou rent thy clothes? Let him come now to me, and he shall know that there is a prophet in Israel. I'll tell you the story. You probably are somewhat familiar with it. Naaman now goes to the prophet's house, and he's obviously in expectation, hopes, I'm sure the idea that someone can bring healing to him is something that he does not have great confidence in because it's, it's, it's certainly not known. He's a man that, of course, is not a follower of the living God, but he's a man that we would call of the heathen nation. And Arimnon is the place where they worship their God. And so this man has now come for this healing, and he's come a long way. And he has come with a stash of money. The gold and the silver that this man has brought is extraordinary. I thought I had it in my notes here somewhere. Let me look for a minute because it's noteworthy. After I stop looking, I'll find it. But he has got a stash of gold that's literally in our, in our vernacular is worth millions and millions of dollars. It was a unbelievable. It was 150 pounds of gold and 300 pounds of silver. I mean, can you imagine that? This is an unbelievable amount that he has brought, not to, not to mention the raiment and the clothes that he brought as well. He is prepared to pay whatever it takes to get healed. And the king has funded this. This is, this is, this is his captain. This is one of the most, probably the number two man in the country and beloved. And so here's this man now has arrived, the king of Israel is beside himself, thinking they want to start war with him or starting to quarrel, as the Bible would call it. And so now the man has come to Elisha's house. This is not your ordinary man. He is a man that, however, does has, he has leprosy, and he dead sure wants to get rid of that. He comes to the house of Elisha. This is just a beautiful thing. There's just something about this that I must admit I like. Now, I can understand why the man's not a happy camper, so to speak, but I still kind of like this. The man of God does not even come out the door to meet this man. You understand, this man is noteworthy. This is a man to be feared. This man to be honored. This is a man when he comes to your door. You give him some treatment. He's important. Can you imagine if he arrived in anybody's house, anybody's house in his nation? They would be guests. What, what, what can we do for you? Can we get some? They, 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 they would welcome him. Can you imagine? Here he comes. And, and it's not as if Elisha doesn't know he's on the way. Can you imagine arriving at this prophet's house and he sends somebody out. He doesn't go out the door to even meet this man. 
So you can understand, stomach's been getting to churn a little, little bit now with this guy. Not happy at all. And he's thinking, and he sends the man out. Not only does he not even come out, the man of God doesn't even come out to meet him. I mean, just to meet this man would have been an extraordinary event. But not only does he not even come out to shake his hand and greet him and tell him welcome to the country or anything, he sends a messenger out and says, go dip in the Jordan River seven times. All right, that's the end. Now the Bible, he, he is, the Bible says here in verse number 11, but Naaman was wroth. The verse prior, it tells him to go wash in the Jordan seven times and thy flesh shall come again to thee and thou shalt be clean. But Naaman was wroth and went, went away and said, behold, I thought he would surely come out to me and stand and call on the name of the Lord his God and strike his hand over the place and recover the leper. He said, man, I want to see, I want to meet this guy. I want to see something. And he sends a messenger out and tells me to go out in this muddy, muddy mess of a river and dip in it. I can relate to this. I'm thinking, really? Brother Keith, if I came to your, if I came to your place and, need, and I was sick and I needed some help and somebody came out and I said, is, is Brother Allen here? Yeah, he's in there. Well, uh, could you tell him, you know, Pastor McCurdy's here and he was going to see me and, and, uh, give me a prescription or something. And they said, well, I just, just go across the street and dip in a puddle over there and, and you'll, you'll be okay. I'm thinking, I don't know about that. I know you're a man of God, Brother Allen, and a fine deacon in this church, but I'm not going in a mud puddle for you. Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm wanting a pill. You understand, this is, this is extremely upsetting to this man. For one, it's, just, it's, it's beneath his dignity to go dip in this river seven times. God's working in this man's heart, isn't he? What do we know about God? We have our way, and then there's what? God's way. This man is not happy. The men that are with him, they've come a long way. I read even that the, the river, the Jordan River was not like down this street. It wasn't like, you know, out in the guy's front yard, Elisha's front yard. I read today it was 30 miles away. This guy has gone, gone a couple hundred miles already on this trip to see him. And now he says, eh, I go 30 miles down that way. Well, he didn't jump in the Ferrari and scoot down there. It's like, really go 30 miles and go dump myself in this? This man doesn't even speak to me, doesn't even talk to me, does, I don't even meet him. He just sends a messenger out and tells me this. He's a man that is now wroth. Men that are with him. He wants to go home and says, I'll go to my own, I'm gonna go to my own clean rivers, right? I'm gonna, I'm gonna we, we've got rivers in Samaria that are clean. If I'm going to do that, I'll just go home and dunk myself in a river seven times. It's, it's not a muddy mess. Isn't it wonderful that this, in verse 13, his servants came near and spake unto him and said, My father, if the prophet had bid thee to do some great thing, wouldst thou not have done it? How much rather then, when he saith unto thee, Wash and be clean? They appealed to him. We've come a long way. 
if he'd asked you to do something, think of the things that he would have been willing to do. We have 300 pounds of silver. We've got 150 pounds of gold. We have raiment. This man is set to pay whatever it takes to get this done. But he, God doesn't want any of that. God wants somebody with humility. And God saw pride in this man and said, we're going to do it my way. And here's where you're going to dunk. And you're going to dunk in that river. You'll not be healed. What a beautiful story. And it's not as if we read of this man and we dislike him. We realize this is really a noteworthy man that, that we would have been proud to have called the captain of the host, as it were, in, in, in Israel. But he was that nature of a man within Syria. And an honorable man. And we would have been, no doubt, would have been proud for this man to have come to our home. But God saw something in this man they need to break down his pride. Ladies and gentlemen, can I tell you something that has never, that has never, ever not been God's desire? It's one thing that he hates. Even within this fine man, God found some humility, and he it was literally God's way or no way. We continue in the story. He goes, and of course, he is healed. And comes back here look at verse uh, let's pick up at verse uh, 16 and he said as the Lord liveth before whom I stand I'm sorry let me back up to 15 he's trying to pay some money here and he returned to the man of the God and he took all his company and came and stood before him and he said behold now I know that there is no God in all the earth but in Israel this is now what we call a converted man. He is now converted to the true God. Now, therefore, I pray thee, take a blessing of thy servant. But he said, as the Lord liveth before whom I stand, I will receive none. This is Elisha. I'm not taking any money. And he urged him to take it, but he refused. And Naaman said, shall there not then, I pray thee, be given to thy servant two mules, burden of earth, for thy servant will henceforth offer neither burnt offering nor sacrifice unto other gods, but unto the Lord. In this thing, the Lord, pardon thy servant, that when my master goeth into the house of Rimmon to worship there, and he leaneth on my hand, and I bow myself in the house of Rimmon. When I bow down myself in the house of Rimmon, the Lord, pardon thy servant in this thing. And he said unto him, go in peace. So he departed from him a little way. Interesting thing here. He asked him for a couple of mules to be given that he could take a burden of earth. What he wanted to do is he wanted to have two mules and he wanted to take dirt from his house, maybe a garden. But he wanted to take the dirt of Israel and he wanted to bear it on these mules and take it back home with him. Why did he want to do that? Because when he bowed, he wanted to bow on the dirt of Israel because it, the God of Israel was now his God. And so he, he wants to take dirt home with him. Now, we can tell from that that he's a new believer because God owns the dirt where he lives too. <laughs> 
But it, it, it tells us of the significance of his heart that he wanted. He didn't want to. He didn't want to bow down, and he was asking forgiveness because the king would require of him to go into the house of Rimen and to and to worship with him. And he said, "Could I get? Could I be forgiven for that? That the king that I would go with the king and and, and go into the house of Rimen." It's believed also that he wanted to take the dirt into the house of Rimen with him and kneel down on that dirt to the God of heaven, the true God. And so he wanted the dirt perhaps for that. This is a man of certainly sincere heart, but he, he had a couple things here that, that were a problem for him, so he's trying to uh, get forgiveness prior to the sin. But the man of God sees he's obviously a man that is not knowledgeable of God, and he says, go in peace. So he departed from him a little way. Of course, you know, the end of the story, uh, this man Gehazi, uh, the man of God would take no money. Gehazi sees an opportunity. This kind of money, this guy's brought this kind of money and we're not going to take anything for this? I mean, the guy got healed of leprosy. And so he goes and, of course, appeals to him to receive some money at the end of the story for Gehazi. He walks away with leprosy himself. And, um, of course, sadly for him, misses the blessing it tells us something about salvation doesn't it you're not going to buy it even when we go back to the old testament we see a story like this the integrity of the word of god is just incredible because when somebody wants to give some money for this gift uh -uh, no won't take any of it why so that we can see is is throughout the bible you don't, you don't you don't buy god you don't tip him you you give to him but he's not bought off. And so we see this man, Gehazi, that, that thought to get some money when we, we see oftentimes, not often, on occasions, people are in, in ministry for the wrong reasons. God's not pleased with that. We go door knocking. I, uh, what's the most common? Well, I, I go to this church or that church. There's, there's a couple common ones that I won't advertise for. But... Uh, there's a couple of common churches that we hear the names of often, and uh, but it's, it's just you you know you realize that they really it, do they even know where the church that they're quote that they're telling us do they even know where it's at? Or do they pass it on their way to work and so now that's become their church? They're not too involved in church. People are not coming to church. They're too busy. All kinds of excuses. One man said to me this week, and he was a kind man. He was a, a very, very, very old man, and he was he was a nice man. But I asked him if he knew he was on his way to heaven, if, I, if he could know for sure. And he said, I'm, I'm not so naive to believe that I could know for sure I was on my way to heaven. And uh, he made this statement to let me know that he was done talking to me. And it wasn't, he wasn't uh, nasty by any means, but he... Uh, he was clear that he was not that naive to believe that he could know that. He was a man that was had a church and had gone to church, the same church, I believe he told me, for 50 years. Didn't know he's on his way to heaven. He's set in his ways, as people are. What willing, would, what willing deed would people want to do in order to earn their way to heaven? 
Would there be a dollar amount that we could place on it that they would be willing to pay? And yet they fail to realize it is a free gift of God, and the only way you will get it is you will humble yourself and admit who you are and understand who he is. And if you will not, you will never see heaven. Obedience to God is the only way. Your good deeds will get you nowhere. It doesn't take long for a child to learn how to be disobedient. And when God says, I am the way, the truth, and the life, the nature of mankind says, I'm not dipping in the Jordan River. I'm not going to be one of those people. I'm not going to be one of those Christians. We learned very early on that the nature of man from the Garden of Eden, that man what? We have a, we have a strong tendency towards disobedience. And when the man of God said, go, go dip in the, the Jordan seven times, what is always within us? I want to do it my way. I've got a better way than that way. I don't want to do it that way. I want to do it my way. I watch his children. We see it in Adam and Eve, but we, it doesn't take children long to figure it out. Disobedience. Our perfect little precious granddaughter has just turned a year old. Has she figured out disobedience yet, Dylan? Okay. He's shaking his head. Yes, she has figured that out already. It does not take long to figure out disobedience, does it? And God sees it in us, and he knows what it is. Adam and Eve, of course. Some believe that Adam and Eve, I don't know how they came to this decision, but they believe that Adam and Eve likely sinned in the first week. I don't know if that's true, but I'm not surprised if it was true. Why? Because when you say don't, we have a will that says, well, just one bite. So I would not be surprised because I know if our deacons had been in the Garden of Eden, they would probably the first day had, had gone in there and gobbled, gobbled down some fruit. It's amazing how mankind is in such a way. God has brought us salvation by his grace alone, and it's a free gift. But people automatically seem to say no to it. Naaman didn't know one thing for sure. He had leprosy. Sin is taking a hold on people's lives and they don't know how to get out of it. Satan is successfully convincing our generation that there's no such thing as sin. I would dare say just maybe five years ago, I don't know if that statement would have been true, I don't know what people would consider a sin anymore. I, 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 what, would, what would it be? They've told us that everything is, is, is okay in our society, and, and if you think differently, it's, it's your problem, not everybody else's. You're the one that's bigot or fill in the blank. We, we've come to a place in our society where there, there's virtually no sin. Doesn't matter what you do, there's, there's no sin, there's no responsibility for your sin. And so we have a society now that just is just completely doing whatever, literally. When the, when the saying came out in the 60s, if feels good, do it, 60s or 70s. Brother Al, what was that, 60s or 70s? He was there too. 
But remember that phrase? It's an old one, but if it feels good, do it. Well, when they said that, it was pretty ridiculous, and we understood, everybody understood, that that's not going to work. Not now, though. They don't, they don't even have to say the phrase. It's just the way of life. Satan is convincing people that they can do anything they want. It's just who you are. You were born this way, and you're different. Verse 16, the consistency of God's word all throughout it, and that he will not be bought off any way, shape, or form. You will come God's way, and you will understand one thing, that I am a sinner, and I need Jesus Christ if I'm ever going to get to heaven. Some takeaways for you. He started humbly, Naaman did, at the word of a little maid. It's quite striking that this little little maid, the Bible calls her, probably a captive that was dragged out of the country, became their servant to his wife. But this little girl, something about, I can't imagine that they took the word of this child, but this little girl, he was willing to accept the word of this little girl that she believed the man of God could heal him and made this trip of 200 miles and brought all of this gold and silver, believing the word of this little girl. That's amazing. I believe that he started out very humbly, but then as, as his pride was damaged, the humility was leaving quickly. Believers, I, I spoke about it for two weeks, pride one week and humility another week. But can I tell you something? It's something that we have to always fight day in, day out, because pride is always seeking to take us over. It's always seeking to destroy our lives. The prescription was not his expectation. And I tell you tonight that God's way is not usually what you're going to be expecting. People will say, God, whatever you want me to do, I'm willing to do. But when we say things like that, are we really willing? Or is it, oh, I didn't mean that, God. <laughs> I did, that's not what I thought. This man was willing to make the trip. He was willing to do it. But when he had to humble himself, then it became a different matter. We're always going to struggle with it. The prescription was not his expectation. The next thing he decided he wanted to do on his terms and his river. Christians, it's an epidemic of Christians that are just going into the world and living like the world and still claiming that they're right with God. Very simply, no, you're not. Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him, period. It's just the way it is. But now we have a whole, whole generation that's saying, well, sin is okay, and, and God just forgives it, and everything's okay. No, it's not. You're fooling yourself. You're, you're, you're following Satan's lies. This man thought, if I, could, if I just do it my way, it's, everything's going to be okay. Everyone, if you're going to have things forgiven from your sin forgiven, you're going to have to come God in humility and ask him for it. This idea that God just puts up with anything, you are fooling yourself. He does not. 
And, and if he does put up with it in your life, you better fear that because you're, probably, you're not a Christian, the Bible says. Whom he loveth, he what? Chasteneth. And if he doesn't chasten you, guess what the Bible calls you? I'm not going to say the word in the crowd, but you're not his child. He said, you're not mine. You're somebody else's child, but you're not mine. So you understand that there's, there's chastisement that comes with sin, but that can be avoided when we come to God in repentance. And we have a generation of Christians now that seemingly think much of this worldly stuff that was always sinful, we realize probably most of the Christian community now is, is endorsing alcohol. It was known that Christians did not drink not too many years ago. That was, that was just known. That was an automatic. If somebody saw a Christian drinking, they would say, well, that must not be a Christian because that was known of us. It's not known of us any longer. And certainly that's not, the, that's, not, that's not the dredges that we've gone to as Christians. But now Christians have just redefined what sin is. And what, what has the world done to us? They keep telling us this is not sin any longer. It's kind of like the 20 years behind kind of thing. So now sin that was sin 20 years ago is not sin for us. Now it's okay for us. Is that, is that the way it's going? So as, as the world just keeps redefining everything as not being wrong, everything being right, we keep moving that direction with them. Believers make no, no, no bone about it. Sin is sin, and just because we're, you think you're less sinful than the world is doesn't, doesn't make you right with God and doesn't mean you don't have to come to God and get forgiveness. Sin is sin. Let's don't be drawn into the, all everything's, everything's okay. We need to stay tender-hearted and humble before our God and come to Him and seek forgiveness and help when we are away from God. It's not just, well, God will get over it. No, you'll come as He tells you. You'll come and you confess your sins, and He will be faithful and just. If you come to Him with a humble heart, He will decide the terms. You won't dictate to God what sin is. He will tell you what sin is. And if you're, not, if you're not convicted of sin in your life, you need to check out your salvation, number one. And number two, if, if you're saved, then you need to say, check out and say, hey, where's my heart? Why is my heart so hard? You can't just perennially stay in sin permanently and be saved or choose to be so far away from God that the Holy Spirit's doing nothing in your life or not even chastising you in your life. You've got a, you've got a problem if that's going on in your life. Because if you're a tender-hearted Christian for the Lord, God's going to be convicting you of sin in your life. And the closer you draw to him, let me tell you something, the closer you get to God, guess what? It's not going to be the big things that you're, that are, that are going to, that you're going to be going to God with. Because when you come to a point where you value a relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ and it has value to you, it's not just I'm saved on my way to heaven. It's I value knowing God praying to God, talking to God, living for God. And I value that. I value that God hears my prayers. When you come to value in your relationship with God, now you're going to be much more sensitive to sin in your life. Why? Because you value the relationship. Many of the men, most probably most of the men in this room, you're married. And you realize there's a value in your relationship. So what does that do? That, that, that keeps, that restrains. How many guys in here this week wanted to say something that you did not say? 
We have a room full of liars. No. <laughs> Every man and woman in this place understands it. There was things that you were going to say or wanted to say, and you didn't say them. Why? Because you valued the relationship with your spouse, and you did not want to cause division between the two of you. Amen? And so what did you, you you're protecting your relationship by your behavior. So when we come to God, do we have no concern whatsoever that our relationship with God is broken? We would, we would be careful with a family member and not, not speak to them in such a way or, or do something against them because we value that relationship. Sometimes it's, it's hard to spank a child. Why? Because you just, oh man, you don't want all the drama and you, you, wanna, you just want to come home and everybody be happy over there. And your wife says, Tyler, line him up. <laughs> nah, it's actually Pastor Joel. And you're like, oh, no. <laughs> Why? Because that's not, that's not what you want to do. You, you want to come home and just hug and play and all that stuff. Why? We value relationships. But are we willing to treat our family in such a way that we have great value for the relationship and treat each other as believers? But when we come to God, we just like, oh, God will get over it. It's because you don't have any value in your relationship. You're not walking with God because if you're walking with God, you value the walk with him. It's very important, believers, to walk with God, to follow his will. But when you don't bring your sin to God and you don't see any point to it, just admit to yourself, I don't care because I don't have a relationship with God. I'm saved. But I'm not walking with God. That is the goal for the believer, that we would walk with God, that we would have a relationship with God. Do you realize how many of these churches are stealing children, young people, younger adults into their churches? And you know what they'll say? Well, you don't have a relationship with God, and we'll show you how to have a relationship with God. They won't show you how to have a relationship with God. I'm not saying they, they can't. You already know how to have a relationship with God. All you're doing is transferring membership to walk away from God again with people that maybe are cutting you more slack. Preaching's not as, as hard. And so, oh, I'm, I'm, I'm right with God now. You're no more right with God than the man on the moon. You can't, you can't change churches and go to something more liberal and, and think that sin isn't sin. Sin is sin. And I, I'm talking about Bible sin. I mean, the book of Proverbs lets us know real well alcohol is not for the believer. It's not rocket science. And for churches to be saying, well, it's okay, as long as you don't get drunk. Believers, let's keep our pride. Let's, let's do what God says. This is a man that came. This is a powerful, proud man that came and said, all right, I'm going to do what God says. I'm going to do it God's way. And he got healing. I don't care if you're a believer or an unbeliever. You'll come to God his way. God is not someone that we're just going to manipulate. He is God. And we come to him on his terms as believers. God honored his word when Naaman obeyed. God healed him. When he did it God's way, God did what he said, and he healed the man. Gehazi got caught up in the money. 
wound up with leprosy. Be careful, believers. The fear of God is a good thing. The awareness of God in your life as a believer, walk with him. This man came to God humbly and he was healed. God kept his word. God will always keep his word. Walk humbly before your God. The fear of God is the beginning of wisdom. Keep, keep a short account. Walk with him. Have the Christian life that you always desired, but you're not going to have it when you're walking in the world, walking in sin. And the value of your relationship with God is almost zero. It's the value you place on it when you are living a life that is a wicked life of sin. Come to God. Confession, repentance, forgiveness will always come from God. He will keep his word. If we confess, he is faithful and just to forgive us. I don't know of wicked sin going on in the church. I do know this, though. There's none righteous, no, not one. Every one of us need to take an account of where we stand with God. We look at this man who is a good man, but he had to come God's way. 